Daniel 6 is what we're looking at today. And this is the, the very well-known Daniel in the lion's den. Don't you think it's uh, something that, out of this one book of Daniel, so many uh, stories seem to have resonated out of it. However, you have the, the guys that go into the fiery furnace, which is a beloved children's tale. And you have the man that gets chucked into a lion's den, which is also a beloved children's tale. Um, but they, you know, Daniel's a weird book. If you read Daniel, it's full of really crazy dreams. And we, I was... I considered the original plan was to jump straight to Daniel 7 this morning. Um, however, um, I thought Daniel's dream of the four beasts was just a step too far. And I thought we can't miss out Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, read on after today. Just read Daniel 7. If you want to sit back and go, man, the Bible is weird. Read Daniel 7. Um, and there's, You know, it's okay to say that the Bible's weird. When I'm saying that, I'm not saying it irreverently. What I'm saying is, is that Daniel has a dream and... <laughs> this dream is hard for us to interpret and it's crazy what he's talking about. He's talking about beasts with horns and eyes everywhere and it's like you can't, you can't not read that and go, man, this is a bit weird. What are we meant to do with that? But We'll worry about that next week, but read on. Um, it's one of those sorts of chapters where you think you've got the Bible down then you read Daniel chapter 7 and you go, no, I haven't got this all figured out yet. Um, Daniel in the lion's den. It's another, uh, another victim of the vegetiles effect. Daniel wasn't a young, brazen boy at this point in time. And let me just give you a little bit of backstory just to catch us up where we are. So this story, the book of Daniel, and these last few weeks have been about teaching as much as preaching. Um, we're, we're looking at Daniel, and this is about a group of Israelites that are living a life. They get taken into captivity. And Daniel is uh, a, a, from a wealthy family, has a position in um, in the, 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 the land of which he was brought up in. And when he gets captured off and carried off by the Babylonian Empire, this story in Daniel basically becomes about how do these foreigners that are upended out of their homeland and thrown into a totally different world, how do they respond, how do they react? And the story really focuses on these four guys um, three of which we spoke about last week, and Daniel, which we spoke about the week before. And what we basically see is this constant desire from the king of the empire that they're now living in to be worshipped and be, to be desired and to have everything that it wants. And basically the story is about how do these four guys who have taken Babylonian names, taken Babylonian clothes and fashion and dress sense and jobs and are working in the Babylonian empire... Um, how do they deal with remaining faithful when their dress, their culture, their society is going completely in the opposite direction to that of their God? And we should be able to resonate with these passages. And that's why I love to go back to these scriptures for us to realise that, you know, these aren't irrelevant scriptures because these are scriptures that speak even to our lives today. We should be able to resonate with what it's like for these four guys. To, and what we basically see is that time after time, whether it's over food, whether it's over um, bowing down to the God or to, to worship the, the king of Babylon, what we constantly see is Daniel and his friends facing a, a major point where they have to make a decision over do we bow and give in, or do we keep swimming against the tide? 
And the first week what we spoke about was to understand that Daniel understood and knew that the kingdom that he was having to work in was temporary. It wasn't his kingdom. It wasn't his God. It wasn't um, permanent. The only thing that was everlasting was the God that he served. And so we spoke about having the courage and the strength to swim against the tide, knowing that whatever we're going through is only temporary. And that's what Daniel understood. Well, that's our interpretation from Daniel 2. And then last week we spoke about having the strength and the courage to say no to the things that everybody else is saying yes to, to not bow down when everybody else is, and, to, and, and how we should do that in, in a peaceful way, in a, in a way that shows wisdom and tact. And um, we learned that these, these three guys, that they, they weren't bothered about whether they lived or died, that, that all, the, the, the actions of the king of Babylon was of no consequence to them because it, he didn't, they didn't serve him, they didn't have to answer to him, they didn't have to come up with a theological debate as to why they didn't have to bow down to that, to that peer pressure. They just had a strong resolve inside that says, you want to know what, that not, that's not for us. You know, whether that's social media, whether that's... Um, uh, whether that's the, 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 the images that are portraying women as a particular way that make young girls particularly feel the need to have to self-harm more than any other time in history. Um, the, having the strength and the resolve, not to have to go and preach to others, um, but just to say, you want to know what? No, I'm going to take a stand away from all of those things and I'm not going to bow down to the same thing that I, is um, offering nothing but death to my the people around me and my friends. And so now we see what has gone on through each moment is that every time that these young men, these foreigners navigating a foreign land are faithful, at the moment where it looks like everything could be taken away from them, their faithfulness always ends up in a huge blessing. And we're going to read through almost all of Daniel 6. Because I want us to see how Daniel at this point is not the young strapping teenager that is displayed in every cardboard book that the Christian families have for their kids. Of Daniel, this young boy, brazenly just dancing off and, uh, to, the, to the lion's den. He was an old man. He was an old man at this point. He got carried in to Babylonian as a young man. And now he's an old man. And let's just read from the first few verses of Daniel 6. He says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So imagine this, the kingdom of Babylonia needs to be controlled and they have groups of people that are controlling it and over, what he does is he cuts the kingdom into three and he appoints three people, Daniel and two other people and Daniel's looking after a third and Daniel, the foreigner, okay, the foreigner, he's doing so well at his job that the king actually thinks, you know what, this guy could just do the lot, this guy has got something about him, this lad could do the lot. Now, just something that you could quite easily miss, because it's not obvious. At the same time that this was going on, go and read Ezra chapters 1 to 6, okay? There was a move of Jews 
that had been taken away by King Nebuchadnezzar going back to their homeland. At this time, Daniel is here in Babylon while his fellow Jews are going back. Now, I can, it is only my thought process. You can only imagine that the king, in, the, in what's going on, the time of history here, we're looking at like the Medio Persian Empire, and Babylon is a part of that empire. And King Cyrus, who's in charge of the Persian Empire, commands all throughout the kingdom that the Jews can start to go back. Let me just read from Ezra. Ezra 1 to 6 talks about the returning exiles. These are the people that were taken away with Daniel from his home. And it says in chapter 2 of Ezra, it says, now the people, now these people, let me just read from it, chapter 1, just to make it make sense. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put in writing. And he goes on to declare how the people, the exiles can go back to Jerusalem. This is Daniel at Daniel 6. This is happening during Daniel 6, about the same sort of time. And in chapter 2 of Ezra it says this, Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, uh, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mishpah, Bigvai, Rahom and Barna. And then it goes on to descend all the people in Babylon that the king of Persia has declared all these people. And they even get the gold and the, the, the gifts that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from them. They all get carried back. And Daniel doesn't go. He's not in this list. Daniel is not in this list. But I can only believe that through Daniel's distinguished behaviour, he was so high up in the government. He spoke with these kings. He dwelt in their palaces. He had, he had influence over them. And we see these people, and during this time, all going back to their home. And I can only wish to believe, maybe, that maybe the king of Cyrus looked upon Daniel and saw something in him. He was willing to put his, lay his own life down for the sake of following his God and being faithful. And it's just a t it's got almost nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. But do you not think it's good? It's really, it's really, really cool to know. You potentially read this and totally miss that because who's, there will be people listening to this that didn't even know Ezra was a book in the Bible, you know, unless you knew the story from Sunday school. So that's just a side position, but it's cool. It's cool. I just hope that Daniel was obviously well thought of and King Cyrus um, would have been in touch with Darius because they're running uh, an empire together and uh, we see these people going home, but Daniel doesn't. Don't you think it's really something that Daniel chooses to stick with where he is? Why? We don't ever really know, but one thing's for sure is that he continues to have an influence. He continues to have an influence another side point now it just comes into my mind Richard, reading a book by Rich Roll okay if you Rich Roll 
if you want to be inspired, read, read about Rich Roll. It's a really, really cool guy. He's not a Christian, but he could be. But I don't think he's. But he's really cool. He was talking about um, the American dream is over. Okay? And the reason is, he said, that the American dream was about challenge. It was about a person's ability to challenge themselves to go from the bottom to the top. And it was about challenge. And now, actually, what the aim for everybody's life is comfort and preservation. That the aim for most people is not to get to the top, but it's to get enough to make yourself comfortable and to preserve what you have. He says, so the American dream's over. It's uh, the, the American dream of comfort and preservation. Um, and what we see here is that, yes, the people needed to go back home. I'm not doubting that. But you see this difference between Daniel and others. Now, what is it about Daniel that goes, you can go home, Daniel? He goes, actually, no, I'm going to, um, this is challenging. But it's making a difference. It's hard, but it's making a difference. You could go home and it, you could go and rebuild and make it comfortable and, you know, go and reminisce about those days and live in a kingdom of comfort and preservation and just protect what you have, make yourself really comfortable. Okay, yeah, but Daniel chose a life of challenge. Challenge can be tiring. It can be exhausting. That's why we're learning to put rest into our life. But what a difference this man made by choosing to stay where it was difficult. And he continued to make an influence. So let's read down. At this, from verse 4, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. It was a man above reproach. They could find no corruption in him, and they, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, if you're not thinking about Jesus standing before the council, before his re resurrection, his crucifixion, this is where your mind's got to be now. Jesus quoted all the time from Daniel. This rest of this story, you've got to be thinking, Jesus, 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 because the, the trial, the time beforehand, the time he stands before Pontius Pilate, the fact that he's found innocent, the fact that he's got nothing wrong, the fact that he goes into a tomb, the fact that he's sealed, the fact that it opens again, um, all of that, okay, we should be thinking Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus even calls himself the Son of Man, which if you read into Daniel 7, that the, the, the thing that rises up and takes its place is called the Son of Man. Jesus, the name that Jesus called himself was a direct quote out of Daniel 7. So, now I've mentioned that. Hopefully everyone's mind's gone, oh yeah. So, so now we've got to remember, this is a glimpse of the Saviour. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man. Unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and government have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Again, same parallels. You have the king who's not really interested in persecuting Daniel, but the people below him putting him under pressure to do so. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So if you had any doubt there that the Babylonian and the Persian Empire were together, like I was saying in Ezra, it's directly there, it says the Persian Empire. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went upstairs to his room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. We also, where did we find Jesus? Praying. Um, so then they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree during the next 30 days that anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Pontius Pilate made plenty of efforts to also save Jesus. They didn't, they didn't want to crucify him. It was the pressure that he was put under. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Then the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. We see there that King Darius actually demonstrating a level of faith in God. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So what, what rescued uh, Daniel was his innocence, and it, what made Jesus able to overcome death was his innocence, yeah? The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in. This is missing from the kids' cardboard stories, by the way. 14-year-old um, Daniel. This is where the story ends, the good part. Daniel brought in and thrown into... So we're going from verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. 
for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the pair of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We all know that story. We, most of us know that story. Maybe not many of us realise that he was an old man in his 80s. Maybe none of us realise that as all this has happened, all his friends are going back home. Maybe many of us didn't realise that the people that accused him got thrown in the lion's den afterwards. Maybe some of us didn't realise that when we are reading stuff like this, that our minds should be casting forward to what does this tell us about salvation and Jesus you know, um, the, 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 the glimpses into what was to come, the way God works, the way he moves. And I've got three points to make from this story. Three points to make. Point one, and I'm going to try and attempt to do this in ten minutes. Point one, to worship or not to worship. Verse ten, when the pressure was applied... Daniel knew, because Daniel was like about to take charge of the whole kingdom. When the pressure was applied and the decree was issued to no longer worship anybody other than the king of Babylon, Darius, it was only for 30 days. How many of us, how many of us would have gone, well, it's only 30 days. I'll just, you know, we're talking about my life here. We're talking about my life. And Daniel had to make a decision about what he was going to do when the pressure was applied. And the first point is that when there is nothing but bad news, when you feel completely lost and completely alone in this world that feels like it's constantly working against us, when you feel that all the walls are closing in on you and you feel like a fraud, because you're at the top of this kingdom who you don't even serve their God, but you're towards the top of that kingdom and you feel like a complete fraud and the walls are closing in. And they give you an olive branch and say, you know, you've only got a service for 30 days. That's all you got, just 30 days. Daniel still made the decision that when he got back up to his room, he, he didn't, his response seems autonomic. We don't know whether he ummed and awed. We don't know any of that. But it doesn't give us any impression that he did. But he made the decision, even when the walls were closing in and the pressure was applied, that he was going to go and worship and pray to God. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when we are put under pressure like that, what's our response? Would we have tried to wriggle out? Would we have tried to find every other reason otherwise to do it? Would we have gone, well, you know what, it's only 30 days, maybe I'll just, Darius doesn't seem too bad, I've got on with him, I've spent a long time with him. You know, I can not pray for 30 days, that will be okay. You know, we're talking about my life here, look at what's at stake for me, and I've only got to do 30 days. How many of us would choose, make a conscious decision, when all that is happening, to say, no, I'm going to carry on worshipping? Or do we stop swimming against the tide and just go, you know, oh, I'm just going to roll with this one, I'm just going to flow, because actually, 
I can't change that decree. What was interesting about the decree was that the decree was written down to a point that the, in the minds of the people that were there, it was unchangeable. Unchangeable. And Daniel could have easily have gone, I can't change this, therefore I'll just go with it. Because I can't do anything about it. I don't have the authority. I'm just going to have to roll with this one. But actually, we see quite the opposite. Because at the end of the story, we see a decree issued that changed that situation from what looked like an almost unchangeable scenario. We see Daniel's willingness to give everything to continue to faithfully serve his God that actually, on the other side, when the darkness had covered him, when it felt like everything was almost gone, and his willingness to continue to no long, to not give in and continue to do the right thing, we see that what looked unchangeable to the people of that kingdom, Daniel made a way to change through God. But it was because of his first decision, and that was to continue to worship, to continue to pray to God, even when the scenario and the situation are completely hopeless. So point one, question number one this morning. What will you do? What will you do when there is nothing but bad news for you, when there is nothing but loneliness, when it feels like everything is turning on you, when the walls are closing in, when everything in the world feels like it's out to get you, then what will you decide to do? And will you take a lesson from history in Daniel's faithfulness in God? Because the God of Daniel has not changed. Point number two. Daniel was not saved from the lion's den. Daniel was saved in the lion's den. Daniel still had to go in there with the lions. He still had to have the top sealed and he had to walk through that moment. Now, in the cardboard cutouts that we've got for our children of um, Christian martyrdom, so as Daniel, the 14-year-old boy, is gleefully working his way down to the lions that he's been petting for years and he's tamed um, in the children's story, and as he happily goes in there, because he knows that he's going to be saved, in reality, it's an 80-year-old man that has been faithful and God has elevated throughout his life, gone from one of the highest positions to being in chains, being marched down, disgraced, embarrassed, paraded, just like Jesus was, innocent, like a lamb to the slaughter. And he goes in. He doesn't get saved from that moment. He still has to walk those steps. He still has to tread those boards. He still has to go through that moment. Because that's life. Because that's life. God doesn't promise to save us from going into the lion's den. God promised to save us in it. The beauty of the message of God is that it's not that he wraps us in cotton wool and he bounces us along life and goes, oh, you're one of mine now. Nothing's ever going to touch you. He says that, you know, even in the most hopeless of situations, 
when the world has paraded you, an innocent person, and put you in the most horrendous of scenarios, I'll still be there. Spurgeon wrote, In any case, he must have had a glorious night, what with the lions and with the angels all night to keep him company. He was spending the night watches in grander style than Darius was. And in many ways, that's true. But when Spurgeon writes this, I don't for a minute underestimate Spurgeon's knowledge of understanding that what it took from Daniel was strength and courage, and that can only have come from God. And we see this, this um, uh, parallels because we're told about King Darius's night. King Darius's night is what? Filled with anxiety and stress? And Daniel, we hear nothing of. His night is relatively calm by all accounts. The, the lion's mares were shut. There was an angel in there with him. He's experiencing all of that. And so in what the world would look as being the worst, worst case scenario, in God there was still a level of Peace and calm and trust. And when we're going through a situation, we have to maintain peacefulness, calmness, tactfulness, trust. We have to have a, a way about us that goes, yes, this situation looks desperate, but I am calm, collected. King Darius is up all night stressing and sweating, filled with anxiety. And what we have to ask ourselves is, question number two, are we going to spend the night like King Darius, but are we going to spend the night like Daniel? Are we going to spend a night knowing that I'm in a desperate situation, but I am calm and trusting God? Or am I going to spend the night like King Darius that lives a life of anxiety and stress, wondering what I'm going to wake up to tomorrow? Because that was Darius' story. And if we're honest, too many of our stories are too much like King Darius. We spend all night with anxiety, we spend all night stressing because we don't know what we're waking up to tomorrow. And this story is a lesson on how to deal with difficult moments. Calm, collected, wisdom, prayerful, worshipping God. No, point number one, to worship or not to worship. Point number two, to be like King Darius or to be like Daniel. Finally, point number three, and to close. Never give up on what God can do. Because our God is still the same God that Daniel served. The hopelessness of Daniel's situation would be challenging for any one of us. The hopelessness of Jesus crucified to his Disciples would have been difficult to deal with. When Jesus was crucified, his disciples didn't go, well, it's all fine. This was prophesied beforehand. It's totally okay that Jesus is dying on a cross. No, the hopelessness of the cross of Jesus crucified to his disciples was a challenge for them to deal with. They grieved. They were walking and talking about it and they were sad. They were upset. The lesson of Daniel is to never give up on your hope of what God can do. Our senses will overwhelm us because all the indicators of our situation will tell us that this is a fast track way to the end for me. 
But these scriptures are filled throughout Daniel of time after time when the situation looked completely hopeless of people that continued to show faith, hope and trust in God. Daniel never once in these scriptures elevated himself. All he ever did was serve and deal with the one thing that was set in front of him. He just dealt with the next thing and he dealt with the next thing and he remained faithful in every single moment. And here we see him at the top of a foreign empire, being able to give counsel to kings, watching his brothers and sisters go back to their home of Judah, knowing that he's still going to stay there and he's going to counsel Cyrus and he's going to counsel Darius. And he's going to take those difficult moments and he's going to do it with wisdom and he's going to do it with trust and he's going to do it with calm. And he knows that it might cost him his life, but his life is worth giving. Because his hope in God is greater than any situation or circumstance. You see, hope is a state of mind. It is not a state of circumstance. And Daniel lived with hope. Therefore, for Daniel, his circumstance was irrelevant because he lived with a state of mind. And the mind is where today's empires are being built. In today's world, your mind is an empire that's being built. And you have to put hope in there. Romans 15:13 says, "May the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace, and you trust in him, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit." Stop looking at your circumstance. Because hope is a state of mind, not a state of circumstance. The lesson from Daniel this morning is when the pressure's on, when the pressure's on, how are you going to react? You know, Daniel had built a rhythm, prayer, three times a day, the Shema, three times a day, prayer, prayer, prayer. And maybe six months ago, probably, I was talking about these things, about building a rhythm, getting into a rhythm. I spoke on Wednesday about, you know what, just read a portion of scripture a day, just read a psalm a day, get into a rhythm. And the reason why we're doing that is so like what happens with Daniel, when that moment comes, you know how to respond. And you respond with worship. Because your situation and circumstance is not determining how you behave mentally. And then to remember that God will never fail you. God will never fail you. Imagine in this story, in your mind, just draw two lines. Darius, Daniel. Think of the way that Darius behaved. He changed his mind and wrote decrees based on the next person that was talking to him. He then blindly implicated everybody around him. He threw one of his greatest advisors into, into almost certain death. Betrayed his friendship. He then didn't really know what God he was serving because at one moment he's serving himself, then he's serving the God of Daniel who he doesn't even know very well. And then all of a sudden he's, he, he throws his friend in the dark and he's filled with anxiety and he's filled with stress. Then he comes out of it and then all of a sudden he's serving Daniel again and 
His life is flip-flopping each way. He doesn't know whether he's coming or going. He's meant to be the king. He's meant to be the best that the Babylons have got to offer. And then we see Daniel, a foreigner, alone, all his family going home, an old man, probably could do taking a break. And he says, no, I'm going to keep going and keep challenging myself. And then the decree gets issued to say, Daniel, you can no longer serve your God. He's going, what am I going to do about that? I'll have to pray. I'll pray about it. Why? Because that's what I always do. I always pray about it. But Daniel, they might kill you. That's fine. I'm never going to stop serving my God. And then he goes into the lion's den. And it's hopeless. And he continues to trust. And he's met with God and he's calm. And he comes out. You know, throughout this story, it's Darius that's doing all the proclamations and it's Darius that's doing all the elevating and it's Darius. You know, Daniel doesn't push any door open. He just deals with the next thing, the next thing. And do we want to be calm and stable and balanced and full of integrity? And Look where Darius ended up. Look where Daniel ended up. If you're going to take one thing away from tonight, remember the night. Remember the night that Daniel is in that position. And who was filled with anxiety. Maybe begin to think to myself, there's too much anxiety in my life. I need to be more like Daniel. That can be in the pit of nowhere and calm rather than sleeping in a king's bed, worried about what I'm waking up to tomorrow.